Welcome into the show. It is Tuesday, October the 8th. Excited to have all of you tuning in, joining the show. It is 8 a.m. on the East Coast, 5 a.m. out West in all time zones in between and around the world. Daniel Wortman coming to you from the Dream Imagine Sports Studios. We're going to do something a little bit different after the break. Uh, we're going to go back to the origin of this whole project. And uh, we're going to take some of the micro episodes of a podcast series that uh, started this whole thing called Soccer Works. And one of the requests that we got uh, doing that show and doing uh, Soccer Works was to expound to do to take more time because the these podcasts were you know a couple minutes long and uh, it was difficult to, to really get into the depth and nuance of certain topics we were trying to kind of cover tidbits of of information and and do it in a poignant way but try to you know to really explain what was going on in u.s soccer and uh in american soccer at large and so we're going to take some of those uh those clips and some of those things and we're going to talk through this them coming up after the break so a little bit different uh show today but i feel like it's it's time and it's necessary um and uh and and so looking forward to to digging into some of the archives and going through some of those old episodes and really kind of taking a look at uh what is and and maybe uh maybe we'll, we'll see if anything's changed in the in the year plus uh, since we started uh, this entire project. Uh, and, and we'll get into the history of that as well coming up after the break. Sports Illustrated had a, has a piece out. Um, Michael McCann uh, headlined U.S. Women's National Team, U.S. Soccer, and Manipulating Math in the Equal Pay Fight. U.S. Soccer opposes the U.S. Women's National Team's filing for class certification in their fight over equal pay, but the players have come over the top with a fresh argument, claiming the Federation's numbers are slanted and inappropriate. The U.S. Women's National Team is in the midst of turning the page following the conclusion of its Women's World Cup victory tour and the end of Jill Ellis' successful tenure as manager. Yet the players' equal pay litigation against their employer, U.S. Soccer, continues to march toward a showdown in court. In two recent court filings, attorneys for U.S. Soccer and the 28 players offer wildly different perspectives on player earnings and the meaning of equal pay. At issue are four players, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, Carly Lloyd, and Becky Sauerbrunn, who are, na- or who are the named plaintiffs, they and their 24 teammates, would like U.S. District Judge Gary Klausner to designate the four as class representatives. U.S. Soccer contends that such an arrangement is untenable. The four, as depicted in a recent U.S. soccer court filing obtained by SI.com, have been paid more than even the highest earning members of the U.S. men's national team. As U.S. soccer sees it, Morgan, Rapino, Lloyd, and Sauerbrunn haven't suffered any form of injury that the law ought to remedy. U.S. soccer further maintains that the 28 players have failed to prove that their case should be certified as a class action. 
Have Morgan, Rapino, Lloyd, and Sauerbrunn been paid too much for their case to advance? Did the 28 players err in anointing their most celebrated and also highest-paid teammates as leaders? Are the financial interests of these four stars and, and those of their teammates too divergent? Or is U.S. soccer using fuzzy math to distort earnings and attempt to mislead the courts and public? So here's what goes on with, with the Federation. They've been playing chess while the rest of American soccer have been playing checkers. They've been thinking multiple, multiple steps and levels ahead while everyone else gets caught chasing what they want you to chase, the distraction. It's a giant game of illusion. And it seems to me, looking at the responses of the U.S. Women's National Team, that they are instead trying to play the same game. And I mean that in a good way, that they are trying to point out the inefficiencies in the market. They're not getting distracted by U.S. soccer's shadow game. So... Just to back up, this this lawsuit for the U.S. Women's National Team is contending that it's not just about equal pay. It's about equal treatment from the Federation. And they're claiming that the men get different treatment than the women. And that is a fact. U.S. soccer knows it. Everyone within U.S. soccer knows it. And quite frankly, of all the PR battles to fight, this is the dumbest one of all. Fighting Hope Solo and fighting the U.S. Women's National Team, two suits, very similar, and they're dead to rights. The lawsuit is premised on the contention that U.S. soccer has violated two federal laws. The article goes on to say the Equal Pay Act and Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. These laws prohibit employers from paying employees less on account of their gender. The 28 players maintain that U.S. soccer has paid women's players much less than the men's players for the same or substantially similar job responsibilities. Such disparities, the women players insist, reflect gender discrimination. U.S. soccer disagrees, surprise, surprise, both in terms of asserted facts and legal reasoning. U.S. soccer maintains that there are lawful reasons for pay differences, including the fact that the Women's Player Union negotiated a collective bargaining agreement that governs the salaries which lie at the heart of the players' dispute. To that end, a spokesperson for U.S. soccer on Monday insisted that, quote, our men and women's national teams have different pay structures, not because of gender, but because each team chose to negotiate a different compensation package with U.S. soccer, end quote. This, this I, what I want to point out in this is this is how U.S. soccer obfuscates. This is how they get around FIFA compliance. 
They'll tell their members, look, we would love to. We, we, it's just, you know, our hands are tied. We would love to do that, but we're not allowed. Let's blame someone else. The point that when, when you look into the, 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 the comments of the U.S. Women's National Team in their legal case, the point that they're trying to make is rate of pay. Like, you have to make this thing apples to apples. And, and this is the part where, you know, people claiming, like, well, they should get paid the same. You know, if a man get gets paid, you know, $200,000 and they get, you know, 150000 obviously that's not equal. But but that's that's too basic of a look at how the, this works. And when the when U.S. soccer is arguing, well, they actually get paid more. That is one of those. I mean, they're they're grand illusionist, and they're trying to pull one over on the the American justice system uh, with with that argument because apples to apples is this: if I have our men play. 20 matches and I pay them $10,000 a match. Now I'm not saying these are the numbers. I'm just using raw, you know, made up numbers, hypothetical example here, um, you know, round numbers. So it's easy for, for computation. If I have the men play 20 games and I pay each male player $10,000 a game at the end of the year, each of those men, if they played in all 20 games, $10,000 a game, would receive $200,000. If I asked the women to play 40 games in a year, and I pay them all $5,000 a game, and the same women play in all 40 games, they make $200,000. Now, the U.S. Soccer Federation is, is arguing that, that that would be equal pay. Look, we're, we paid them $200,000, each of them. But here's the caveat. Here's what U.S. Soccer leaves out. This is part of their grand illusion, the grand deceit. Is it's not equal pay just to, to calculate a dollar figure at the end of the day, you have to take into account how did you arrive at that dollar figure for the, for the example I gave where, where you have a male and a female player, one playing 20 games to get to 200,000, the other to play 40 games to get to 200,000. It's not equal pay. This is why I, I'm always careful to point out when I talk to people about this subject, it's not about equal outcomes. It's about equal opportunity, meaning the opportunity should be the same. The treatment should be the same. The outcome should be based on input, meaning this. 
if you're gonna play, if you're gonna if you're gonna play for the men's national team and you get ten thousand dollars a game, then that should be the same standard for the women, ten thousand dollars a game. And if you have the women play forty games, well, that's on you, Federation. Now you're gonna pay them forty grand, four hundred grand instead of two hundred. In that scenario that I gave. That that that's what equal pay should look like. It's an equal opportunity, not an equal output in terms of total compensation. It's equal output in terms of opportunity. The rate, meaning if you broke it down into a per hour, if it, you know, if you think of this as running a, a local business. And you hire a teenager to come in and work and you pay one teenager $7 an hour. You pay another teenager $9 an hour for the same work. 40-hour work week, there's going to be a pay discrepancy between the two. That's what we're looking at here. And that's what the U.S. Women's National Team are arguing. That is a point that the U.S. Soccer Federation does not want to acknowledge they want to blame the CBA, but here's the truth on the CBA. The truth on the CBA that U.S. soccer is trying to hide behind with both the men's and the women's national teams is the amount of coercion, influence, threats that goes on behind the scenes. The pressure put on these players. Hey, don't don't push too far, or you're not going to get a chance with the women's national team. Don't give us problems, or when you get done playing, you're not going to have a job. You need to think about your future. And I've, I've, I've heard countless stories of this kind of, of treatment within the Federation. Remember, remember who can take care of you. Remember who can give you opportunities. Remember who can make sure you have an income. That's not a that's not a fair negotiation for a player to sit down with the federation when when at the same time the federation's going look we're not going there we're not willing to go that far and if you keep pushing it not only are you not going to get what you want in this you're going to you're going to get screwed down the road and we'll make sure of it I've heard these stories over and over again so to sit here and act like, well, we, we negotiated in good faith. This is what they came up with. Even that in and of itself is completely disingenuous. This is why I say the U.S. Soccer Federation is a grand, they, they are grand illusionist. They have figured out a way to continually pull this charade on the public and continually mess with the media, mess with the court system, mess with their own members by obfuscation, by pulling these illusions, by being factually correct 
but breaking the spirit of truth. Meaning, yes, there is a CBA, but how did you arrive there? What was the reality? And ultimately, when you look at all of this and you lay all this stuff out on the table, what is your moral obligation? That's an element that I I think is not getting discussed. It is an element that I think needs to be discussed. And it should be at the center of this conversation. It should be at the center of every lawsuit right now between the U.S. Soccer Federation and those plaintiffs. What is the moral obligation of a federation that is supposed to be the national governing body of soccer in this country? What example should it be sending to the rest of the world in the way that it treats its male and female players? What should it be doing in terms of opportunity and access for all, all of its members? Not just what's good for Major League Soccer, but what is good for everyone? When you, when you read the words of U.S. soccer and when you listen to the words of, you, uh, of the Federation, you hear so many misdirections. You hear so many mistruths. There, there are comments that are just not genuine. They are meant to confuse. They are meant to weasel out of situations rather than try to do the right thing. When you run a business and you're, you are, you're the person in charge and you have a, a contract, you have an agreement, whether written or verbal, with your customers or your clients, There, there. If you want to, if you want to have a long-term successful relationship with that customer or client, and 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 your company makes a mistake, your company messes up. There's a three-word phrase that you got to live by, and if you don't do it, you're going to get screwed by screwing yourself. You're ultimately going to be in trouble. And that that phrase is, "Make it right." If I'm a soccer club and I say, this is what we're going to do, boom, 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 and we don't live up to that, then I have to figure out a way to make it right. I have a moral obligation to honor my word, make it right. When you're the U.S. Soccer Federation, You have a moral obligation to make it right for these players, for all of our players. And it's about time we see some leadership at the federation level. Some real leadership that that demands accountability of itself that puts out a bold vision and plan and leads us into the future and starts figuring out how to make it right when it comes to all of its members.
Our sponsor this half hour is Ducktick Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G, brand.com. Go there, check them out, place an order, and use the promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of your next order at ducktickbrand.com. We'll be right back after this. show thanks for tuning in this tuesday october the 8th we really appreciate you joining us yeah i mean look when you look at where things are with the federation it is just bizarre to think that a national governing body would would have this posture especially when you're looking at um 
the one area that has been the most successful for this country. And you're going to take the posture that we are not going to, we're not going to treat them the same. We're, we're not going to be, um, fair and equitable in the way that we treat them, the way that we pay them. And we're going to hide behind, you know, other, other aspects. Um, to me, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. And, you know, I think when you, um, when you really look at, you know, the way the Federation um, handles uh, handles this situation, handles this moment. Um, you know, I I think it's a problem, and and I think that that we that's an area that that looking at the Federation at large, where they've made a massive mistake, an area where I think that they have completely missed the boat, and. Um, I think ultimately in the end, it's going to catch up with them. So we talked about at the top of the show, um, this, this idea of going back to the origin story of this show, the origin story of this entire project. Um, and the origin story began with a project called soccer works. And, um, it, it really was based on this idea of, could we, could we take some topics? Could we take some moments and give a short little synopsis of, you know, a topic. Now I realized we could not get into a lot of depth and, and detail, but we wanted to try to at least cover them in, in a, the best way that we possibly could. One of the things that drives this is really the origin of, of this whole thing, which is, I think that American soccer could, that, that this country could be the greatest soccer country on earth. Not only do I think we could be, I think we should be. I don't think we have any reason or excuse that if we put our minds to it, that we couldn't become that. And so I want to go back today and go through some of these very beginning episodes. They're very short. And we're just going to listen to to bits and pieces of these episodes. And, And then I want to get into some more detail because it was one of the most talked about most requested things about soccer works when it began this whole project that led into the Daniel Workman show. The reason why we went into a longer format in the first place came out of these, um, these, this feedback that we received. And I want to go back and take a look at some of these topics that we covered in the very beginning and see if we can't give you a little bit more color and detail as to you know why or what we were thinking, etc. So, um, 
to kick it all off, we're going to start with the very first episode of this entire project. Episode one of Soccer Works. Take a listen, and um, and then we will dive into more. If you ask me a question, and I don't know the answer, I will find the answer. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! With the world so set on tearing itself apart, it doesn't seem like such a bad thing to me to want to put a little bit of it back together. You all know why I'm here. Welcome to episode one of Soccer Works with Daniel Workman, where we take a brief look at how soccer works in the U.S. and around the world. On this episode, we dive into American soccer. The first step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. America is not the greatest soccer country in the world. We could be, and I think we should be. Unfortunately, greatness is not our purpose or our aim. We need a mentality shift. We have many issues, and we'll cover those in upcoming episodes, but the single biggest reason we are not the greatest soccer country in the world comes down to this. We have not committed to being the greatest soccer country in the world. And that begins with the U.S. Soccer Federation. But it will take all of us adopting this mindset if we are to see the U.S. improve its standing in the global game. Every problem and every issue we have stems from not having greatness as our primary vision and purpose. We can do so much more and be so much better if we commit to this end. America is not the greatest soccer country in the world, but we could be. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing. I would love to connect with you. Visit w- so that began this entire project. Episode one of Soccer Works. We are not the greatest soccer country on earth, but we could be. And that was the origin story. That was the kickoff point. That was the launch point. That was our North Star. Everything that we talk about when it comes to American soccer goes back to this philosophy, this worldview that we are not the greatest soccer country on earth, but we could be, and I think we should be. I think we have all the resources to be the greatest soccer country on earth. What we are lacking is leadership. We're lacking vision. And ultimately, that should come from our federation. And so in turn, we lack a federation that is boldly leading us to greatness. And the reason why... I took that approach when I said America is not the greatest soccer country on earth because we are not aiming for greatness. We're not aiming for excellence. You, you, you never hear from the Federation a challenge to the grassroots, a challenge to Major League Soccer to reach for more. There is a, an inferiority complex and mindset that is, for a very long time, permeated the, the, the upper echelons, the levels, the leadership positions of the U.S. Soccer Federation. It's this mentality of, look, we're still struggling. Let, you know, let's just be happy with what we have. Let's appreciate what we have, man. It used to be worse. Well, if it's still worse, 
five years later, 10 years later, 15 years later, if it's still not that great, if it's still not catching up with its global counterparts or other sports in America, it's a self-perpetuating cycle. If you just zoom out and you look at the Federation and the leadership of the Federation when it comes to where we are going and the, the mindset and the mentality of those in, in charge and you look at, man, you know, we, we're not there. You know, our, our league is, our Major League Soccer, our, our top professional league, you know, they're still growing. They need time. You know, the USL, the NWSL, all these leagues, you know, they're, they're trying. They're not there. You know, we're trying to get this stuff implemented, but we're just, we're not there. The culture isn't there yet. Got news for you. It's called leadership. Excellence, greatness are not accidents. They are intentional. They are intentional pursuits. Now, you you can look at it the way the Federation looks at it, and you can go, man, we're just not there yet. We're just not there yet. You know, it's just we're just still in our infancy. We're we're still on the rise. We're we're, we're so far behind, and, and everything's just real fragile. Everything's just you know. We wish we could do more, but we're just we're just not there. We got to be thankful for what we have. We don't want to mess up what we have. We, you know, we we work really hard to get to this point. I I, I get we're not where we want to where we want to go, but, but but we're making strides, and we got to be careful. That's not bold leadership. If JFK would have gotten up in front of the country and said, "I declare by the end of this decade that," uh, well, I'm afraid. I mean, I'd like to go to the moon one day, but it just looks like Russia's going to get there first. And I just really want to prepare the country and quite frankly, the world that we're just in our infancy in this. We're, we're behind and we need some time. We hope one day that we can get there, but we just need to be thankful that we have a space program that, that we're trying to make strides to get better I mean, I, I would really like one day for us to stand on that proverbial mountaintop and be the the preeminent space program in the world. But, you know, we also got to look at where we've been, you know, over the last 10, 15, 20 years and, and where we want to go over the next 25 to 50 years. And we've got to keep that in perspective, too. We don't want to mess up some of the progress we've already made. And, and so I, I, I boldly declare that by the end of this decade that we're, we're going to make progress. The country 
No, the entire world would have laughed him off the stage. They would have said, this guy's a buffoon. He's no leader. I boldly declare that I hope that maybe one day we could be something. No, we got to the moon because even though he was no longer in charge, even though he was no longer on this earth, his bold vision set a course for this country and the space program knew that all eyes were on them, that they had to get it done. That by the end of this decade, we would put a man on the moon, period. Greatness and excellence are no accidents. They are intentional. Federation is not leading us there. Greatness is not their pursuit. And so this whole idea that this whole idea that that we're going somewhere or going somewhere fast or that we have a plan and a purpose, just sit back and read the words. Listen to the speeches. Listen to the TV commentators talk about how, well, we still got a long way to go. We're nowhere near, right? This is all inferior mentality. It's weak sauce. It's garbage. We need bold leadership to sit down and look at every stakeholder in the face and go, look, it's not good enough. We got to fix it. We got to get better. What can we do? How do we get every area of this country opportunity and access? How do we make it better? That is, that is where we have to That is where we have to get to. Period. We have to have that approach that we are going to do something amazing, something bold, something never been done before. And when you don't have boldness and greatness as a philosophy shaping what you're doing, and we've talked about the recently the philosophy, the world view of U.S. soccer. It starts to affect how you do what you do. And so in episode four, we picked up on this idea of the U.S. soccer structure and, and took a look at what the, the federation is from an organizational standpoint. Here is episode four of Soccer Works. Ask me a question, and I don't know the answer. I will find the answer. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. With the world so set on tearing itself apart, it doesn't seem like such a bad thing to me to want to put a little bit of it back together. You all know why I'm here. Three, two, one. Welcome. 
Welcome to episode four of Soccer Works with Daniel Workman, where we take a brief look at how soccer works in the U.S. and around the world. On this episode, we look at the structure of U.S. soccer. The U.S. Soccer Federation derives its authority from two governing bodies, FIFA internationally and the U.S. Olympic Committee domestically. It is the national governing body for American soccer. The Federation is run on a macro level by its officers and board of directors, and on a day-to-day level by its CEO and their staff. There are only two elected positions, President and Vice President. All other positions are appointed by the President and affirmed by the General Council. This General Council is comprised of four voting councils, the Professional, Adult, Youth, and Athlete Councils, The remaining minority percentage of the vote is split amongst board members, lifetime members, and others. The problem with this structure is that players, coaches, and club executives don't have a direct vote in determining the direction of their own federation. The structure of U.S. soccer is literally set up to prevent progress away from status quo. Every voice should matter, and our federation should work for all Americans. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing. Learn more at So that was episode four of Soccer Works, the US soccer structure, where we were taking a look at what the the Federation organizationally looks like. And just to kind of give a, a, a quick refresher because those episodes are really quick and there's not a lot of detail there. The U.S. Soccer Federation is the national governing body in the United States for the sport of soccer. And they get their power and authority to govern soccer, to regulate or to sanction, you know, a soccer club, a soccer player, a soccer team, a soccer uh, league, etc. from two authorities above them. One authority is FIFA. Now, that is the international governing body of soccer, which provides oversight and and sanctioning of the U.S. Soccer Federation. They basically certify that the United States Soccer Federation, the, the specific organization, is the recognized member of FIFA, the international governing body for the sport. The U.S. Soccer Federation also gets sanctioning and authority and power from the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And the reason why they get authority for that from them has to do with the Olympic program. I have contended many times that if the U.S. Soccer Federation did not run the Olympics, the men's and women's Olympic soccer teams. They would not, they would not even be an organization sanctioned under the U S Olympic and Paralympic committee that would also throw out their requirement to honor the Ted Stevens act that has created this athlete council. Now, as with many of our laws, there were reactions to, to things that, that weren't going well. And so, you know, lawmakers wrote a law. It's called the Ted Stevens Act. And, you know, it was there to, to govern U.S. Olympic, Paralympic 
committee and, and the sports associated with that, the governing bodies that are part of that. And, and so part of that is they, they said, look, you got to have athlete representation. You've got to, you know, provide some oversight regulations there. The problem with the law, when, when you look at that, is that it's written in a way where, where it's not inclusive of athletes. It's actually the Ted Stevens Act and the requirement of the Federation is to is to for the one tenth of one tenth of one tenth percent of athletes in this country to be represented. So the athlete council is actually not a good word to use. It should be the national team council because you could be a player in major league soccer and you, you could not serve on the athlete council. The athlete council is not responsible for you or to you. No player, you know, in this country that's eight, nine, 10 years old is being represented on the athlete council. These are only national team players. And those national team players could be, you know, from the Paralympic team. It could be from deaf soccer. It could be from the U.S. women's national team, the men's national team, etc. But it has to be from one of those national team programs. That's where these these athletes come from. But athlete is really too generic of a word. It's it, it's actually not general in definition. If you look at the law and if you look at the way U.S. soccer treats it as well to be in compliance with the law, it's not an athlete council. It is a national team council. And it's if, if they're not going to be represented, if all of these players, these millions of registered players within the Federation are going to be represented by the athlete council, which there is a way to do this and do it well. If they're not going to do that and take that into consideration, then that council should be renamed. It should not be called the Athlete Council because it's misleading. This is another one of the grand illusions of the U.S. Soccer Federation. It should be renamed the National the National Team Council. Because that's who it is. That's who they are responsible for. The elite of the elite, which is no surprise that the U.S. Soccer Federation have worked hand in hand with the elite of the elite to keep status quo protecting the elite of the of the elite. Because we have an elitist system, we have an elitist structure. It's not shocking when you actually peel the layers of the onion back and you start to look at what's going on and who's doing what. When you look at the athlete council we should really call it the national team council. And when you understand that it's, it is made up only of former national team, current or former national team players, and it's only responsible to represent former or national team players. You realize that that council doesn't need to look out for the well being and in the best interest of millions of registered soccer players. They're only needing to look out for those that, are like them. Our council system is a problem. It's a big problem. And in in that council system has pitted members against one another. Your structure what you do 
how you're structured to operate is going to determine the output, the outcome. The segmentation has created a system where where you have members fighting against members who have interest that are not aligned. We're not working together to build this this soccer vehicle that can that can land us on the moon. We we're we are at war. We have a, a, a country that is divided. And it is and it, it has been divided by the very leadership the organization required to to lead us and govern us has been the one dividing us. Here's episode five, where we look at U.S. soccer segmentation. If you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I will find the answer. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. With the world so set on tearing itself apart, it doesn't seem like such a bad thing to me to want to put a little bit of it back together. You all know why I'm here. Welcome to episode five of Soccer Works with Daniel Workman, where we take a brief look at how soccer works in the U.S. and around the world. On this episode, we look at U.S. soccer segmentation. U.S. soccer is an amalgamation of disjointed, disconnected segmentation. It is made up of isolated and independent organizations with competing interests. In other words, it is a collection of silos. For decades, the Federation has underachieved, fallen short, and failed to realize its potential due to poor leadership, a mindset of inferiority, and a small-minded vision. To better see the effects on U.S. soccer, think about this. America is a country of 300 million plus with world-class infrastructure and the greatest sports economy on earth. And we just failed to qualify for World Cup 2018 in the weakest confederation on earth. Our problem is a leadership problem. The philosophy of segmentation, separation, and isolation is hurting us on every level and in every area. You see it in our governance, you see it in our programs, and you experience it in the grassroots where you can live a lifetime and never cross paths with a U.S. soccer scout. Thanks for listening and for sharing. Learn more at wrk.mn. So that was episode five of Soccer Works where we looked at segmentation. And it's really hard to get everyone on the same page when you're busy putting up walls between everyone. And a case in point is uh, recently I I was talking to some parents of one of my son's teams and they were frustrated with realities of certain things going on with the team. And as I listened to some of their complaints, I shared with them that what you're feeling is a direct result of the U.S. Soccer Federation. People don't realize how the poor leadership and stewardship of the U.S. Soccer Federation affects the grassroots I mean, we talk about it on a, on a macro level, like clubs don't have the opportunity to build 
meaning they don't have the ability to to start a first team promotion relegation work their way up get their act get access to to television revenue and get access to other forms of, of commercial dollars that that can get them you know not so reliant on pay to play or or other things and yes on a macro level that's absolutely true and i am always talking about that on a on a macro level the 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 federation and the system that they have implemented has detrimental effects all across this country for clubs for for players for coaches access opportunity everything but on a micro level i don't think people really understand how the segmentation and the structure of u.s soccer affects their day-to-day life not just on a macro like hey one day we'd like to move up and we'd like to see our club do something cool but like really affects like your ability to operate from sunday to sunday that affects your everyday life your schedule your planning etc so I, I was talking with these parents and i was i was listening to some of their their complaints and their frustrations and so i began to explain to them how the federation is set up and why and how that affects them negatively and they had never heard of any of this they didn't know any of this because it's at the lowest levels it's in the grassroots That is what happens when you have a dysfunctional system. It gets so out of hand. The segmentation is so prevalent that not only do you do you, do you section off members and people and organizations, but when you when you section them off, you you create these walls and they can't see each other. They can't hear each other, but they're knocking against each other. We've created problems as a federation rather than working as a federation to problem solve, to solve these problems. The federation actually creates more problems than it solves. That's a problem in and of itself. When I look at the landscape of American soccer and I boil it down to a local club and then I zoom out and I look at it on a federation level, the thing that I see repeated over and over and over again is that our federation lacks leadership. And the dysfunction of not having good and proper and bold leadership has filtered its way down through all of these silos and segments and levels and layers. John Maxwell, a leadership author and speaker and communicator, talks about the law of the lid. That if, if, if on a scale of one to ten as a leader, if you're a six or a seven, you're not going to keep eights, nines, and tens working beneath you for very long. At some point, they are going to leave because they are limited by your lid, your lid of leadership. You have to figure out how to, how to raise your ability to lead if you want to have better leaders underneath you. 
when we look at our federation, we don't have the best and the brightest. We have what we have because the federation has been so poorly run for so long. Now, that's not to say that individually, person by person, that there couldn't be some really good people and some really good leaders. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, in general, the principle has played itself out over the decades. You're not seeing very many people around this country call for greatness. Push the boundaries. Usually those people get driven out of the sport and out of positions because they are disrupting status quo. We should be welcoming that instead of fighting against that because that's how we get to tomorrow. That's how we get to a better tomorrow. Leadership. Andy Stanley is famous for saying leadership is a stewardship. It is temporary and we are accountable. And it is time for the U.S. Soccer Federation to be accountable to its leadership or lack thereof. If we ever, ever want to reach greatness and excellence across the board and at scale. Our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. They are leading the fight to bring clean drinking water to people all over the world. And you can be a part of that story at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Thanks for watching today. We did a different uh, take, and I look forward to doing some more of that in the future, breaking down some of these old Soccer Works episodes and really kind of going into some more depth and detail of what we were getting at uh, in the very beginning. And it is the origin story for this show, which is that American soccer has a lot of issues. They are, they are mainly issues of poor leadership because... Every country is going to have things they have to solve. So to sit back and blame the reality or the fact that we have such a geographically large country, etc., that's not leadership. Everybody's, everybody around the world has got things they got to figure out. We've got to figure them out. 
And so instead of getting drowned in a sea of of over-examination and fear of problems or just giving up on even trying to solve them, we need a federation that's going to lead. It's going to lead us boldly into the future to achieve what I think could be and should be our destiny to be the greatest soccer country on earth. And I look forward to... Uh, to doing more of that in the future, talking about where we are, where we could be, and where we should be, I think. And uh, that's what started our, our entire show, this entire project. And I uh, thank you for, for joining us each and every day. And you can watch on Facebook.com forward slash WRKMN or at DanielWorkman.com. Listen on uh, iTunes, Apple Podcast. Catch me on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.